It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. When I told Danelle Howard that her episode should be published on Valentine's Day, she responded, That's perfect. I'm a florist. I won't be able to get nervous. I'll be too busy. Danelle is a maker of things that have stories, so we enjoyed chatting and hearing her story. She also has Cottage Path Quilting, where she enjoys long-arm quilting for others. Danelle, thank you for joining me on A Quilter's Life. Thanks so much, Paula, for calling me. I've been looking forward to this chat. Any time to talk about quilts and making. Uh-huh. Danielle, let's start with where were you born and raised? I was born in Pennsylvania, southeast Pennsylvania, and we moved around quite a little bit when I was really little and then settled back in the same area of Pennsylvania, just outside Philadelphia. And that's basically where I went to school. So that's kind of where I was raised. And then when I was in college, we moved back to my mom's hometown in southwest Missouri, and that's where I've been ever since. Oh, wow. That was a big change. It was. But it's where we spent our summer vacations. So we were kind of familiar with the area. And it was in some ways a dream for me to move back to this little town. So, Oh, neat. How about a special childhood memory? I am very lucky to have dozens of them. And this might be the hardest question you put on your list of questions, (laughs) Paula. But I did have one that I have told many of my quilting friends. So I thought maybe your listeners would enjoy this. My mom is a very capable seamstress. Actually, she's just very capable of doing all sorts of homemaking things and everything else. She's the one that taught me how to sew. When I was little, I begged her to let me use her old sewing machine. But she did it because in that era, you know, that was the frugal thing to do. She made all our clothes. She did it because she thought she should more than she really enjoyed it. But she did go to the ladies sewing circle at church. And every once in a while, there was a random day off school and I could tag along with her. All the kids would play underneath the quilting frames. It was one of those older style quilting frames where you'd have 20 women around the outside and roll it towards the center. So there was plenty of opportunity to make like quilt forts underneath. And so we would play underneath there. But I really wanted to quilt more than I wanted to play. And there was one frame that was always set up to do Tide Comforters. These were usually like donation quilts. And bless their hearts, the ladies let me come over to that frame. And they would push the needle. They used a bigger needle. So they would push that needle down to me underneath the frame. And then they'd put their thumb where they wanted it to go back up. And I would push the needle back up to them. And that was my very first memory of quilting. (laughs) You were actually probably a bigger help than you think you were. (laughs) I'm not sure if I helped or slowed it down, but I tell you what, they did make me feel like I was important and I was a helper and I felt like a quilter. And that just stuck. (laughs) I'm just picturing the look on their faces as they got to have you help. Oh, I'm sure they were grinning 
hugely up above. Of course, I was underneath, so I couldn't see. And they always praised me. And I'm sure I got it in the wrong spot. And I probably poked their thumbs more than once. But they were so sweet to let me do that. (laughs) How neat. Now, besides your long arm business, did you have other employment? I have. I actually have been a florist for, I'm trying to think now, 17, 18 years, I believe. I was in college doing a history degree with the intention of going on to grad school to do library science. And I spent much of my time through school and later on working at bookstores and libraries. And that was just the track I was on. My parents, meanwhile, had moved back here to Missouri. And my mom worked at a florist and greenhouse and ended up buying the business. And so I decided I would take that infamous year off and help them get started before I went to grad school. And 14 years later, I was still a florist. So (laughs) when they retired, I did a couple other things and ended up kind of missing being a florist. So I'm back at the same shop. I was approached by the current owner and she said, if you ever want to come back, let me know. So I did. And then being in a small town, everybody knows everybody. And so when other things came up, it's kind of a joke. I always have multiple things going. So I've worked at the library. I've subbed at the school. I've been a secretary for the 4-H and extension program. So I usually have a bunch of things going on at once. I've even started working for the last few years. I've been working just random Saturdays at our local quilt shop to help out and just kind of for fun. Wow. I'm picturing you running from place to place. <laughs> there was one day I worked three different places in one day. And by the third place, I had to put a sticky note on the phone to remember how to answer it. (laughs) (laughs) Working in the florist shop, do you have a favorite flower? Oh, it depends on what's in season. I love Dutch iris. I also really like stock, um, the flower stock. It's very spicy fragrant. Hmm. It's not as common a one. No. (laughs) I bet you love arranging the flowers together. I like making things. So for me, I always joked that this was just flower crafting. Neat. We're also a greenhouse. So I also work in the greenhouse part. So sometimes I'm working with fresh flowers and other times I'm out helping people plan their vegetable gardens. Oh, wow. I hadn't thought about the vegetables. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else you wanted to share about your family? I actually live next to my parents. We moved back here, and my grandparents had, it's now considered part of the town, but at that time, they had a little dairy farm. And when we moved back, my grandparents were getting older, and my parents were intending to come back and help them as they aged. And they gifted us a little part of the pasture and we built there. And then my aunt moved back from Colorado and she lives in the other section of the little farm. So we have a nice close little family. And when my grandmother passed away, I inherited her house. So my living room is where she had her quilting frame. And... (laughs) Wow. Neat. So it's kind of a nice little history there. Yeah. I love family history. It's fun. Mm-hmm. 
when you're listening to previous episodes, you will probably hear that we're living in the house that my husband's great-grandparents built. So that is so neat to stand in a room and think, oh, our ancestors stood here and looked at the same thing. I wonder what they were thinking. So that is fun. If walls could talk, right? Uh Uh-huh. Besides quilting, are there other crafts you do or have done? And we know you are a florist, so that's in there too. I have a problem with collecting hobbies and crafts. I have a hard time finding one that I try that I don't like. So I have spent, well, let's see. If you want to go way back, I got my first embroidery kit. My mom gave me an embroidery kit, and now this just makes me shake my head. She gave me an embroidery kit, including a real needle and a real pair of scissors when I was four. (laughs) Probably because I was always trying to steal hers and play with it. And then, let's see, later that same year, I saw my first crochet hook and a lady using it. So I begged my mom until she took me to the hardware store. And that's one of my early childhood memories was picking out my own crochet hook. It was a size H because that was pink. And then my best friend's mom was a rug weaver. And if we were really, really good, she would let us sit up on the weaving bench with her. And one time I remember her letting me throw the shuttle and help her weave. And Still to this day, a few years ago, I was able to find a antique rug loom and drug that home and I've been weaving rugs and I still crochet and I love knitting and of course sewing and working with vintage sewing machines and oh, also when I was five or six, I saw my first demonstration of spinning yarn on a spinning wheel and I told my parents, I'm going to do that someday. And when I started babysitting, I started a spinning wheel fund. And it took me about four years, but I earned all the money I needed to buy my first spinning wheel. So I probably spend most of my craft time in the yarn world, spinning, knitting, weaving, that type of thing. But I am a professional dabbler, I guess. I try a little bit of everything. (laughs) And I just don't find many that I don't like. (laughs) You definitely keep your hands busy. I do. Well, that was quite a bit. Are there any other hobbies? That's my crafting list. And then hobby-wise, my mom is a huge gardener. So come spring, as soon as the ground can be worked, I'll be out helping her. I don't get as much time to as I'd like anymore, but I usually help her with gardening. We used to do some market gardening selling at the local farmer's market, that type of thing. And then it's just like crafts. One thing leads to another. So working at the greenhouse, I got myself very interested in houseplants. I have a lot of houseplants. And then I needed to start mixing my soil for that. And I thought, well, I want compost. So I got into raising worms for composting. And I find everything fascinating. That's my problem. So I wouldn't say I'm fantastic. I'm very skilled at any of these necessarily, but I like to see how things work. So I tend to try things. I've made cheese. I love making cheese. And of course, with the garden, doing a lot of canning and food processing and preserving and 
all that type of thing. So I just find learning the processes of things fascinating. So I do a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I'm starting to get tired. (laughs) That's a lot. (laughs) That's great, though. Now, do you think any of these hobbies and crafts show up in your quilting? Oh, yes. That's probably one of the things I find fascinating is how so many of these different things can go together, can be used together. With mentioning being a florist, I love to use florals, whether that's in fabrics or in my quilting designs, in knitting. Of course, flowers are a big part of my life. But I have a problem. I tend to be a little bit picky when it comes to a floral design because if it calls it one thing and it doesn't look like that, (laughs) I have a hard time using that fabric or that design. (laughs) And then other things like I've done, of course, things like basket weaving or rug weaving and you see designs in there and then you want to translate that into quilting. At the quilt shop several times, there's been some amazing bee-themed fabrics here in the last couple of years. So at one point, I was a beekeeper for several years as well. So when they need a sample made with any of the honeybee fabrics, they always say, hey, Danelle, would you like to do this one? (laughs) (laughs) And then knitting. I'm, I'm a big knitter, and we've been very fortunate the last few years. A lot of the pantograph designers, the quilting design that we use on the digital quilting machines, have really done a great job of using knitted themes. So I have a whole section of my pantograph designs that are all knitting related. And my knitting friends have become quilters and my quilting friends have become knitters. So they always enjoy using those. Wow. That's a great way to tie it together. Uh-huh. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I know your mom introduced you to sewing. Was she also the one to introduce you to quilting? I'd have to say no. I'd like to say yes. The interesting thing is, I think just in the last couple months, she came to me and said, would you teach me to quilt? So she's been doing a lot of patchwork and we've been working together. She's been making tops and then I've been able to quilt them on my long arm to be able to use for donation quilts, which has been absolutely a blessing. I have treasured that time. As far as quilting goes, quilting was always in the background. Where and when I grew up, it just seemed like there was always somebody. Of course, at that point, it was basically done by hand. And that's the way I learned both the piecing and the quilting. So it just seemed like it was always, they'd go over to somebody's house and they would pick up the patchwork and stitch while we were there. And of course, quilts were on all the beds. I didn't find out till I was older that my grandmother was a quilter. And then when we moved back here, she was still doing a little bit. She wasn't able to do as much, but I did spend a lot of time with her and I kept asking her to teach me and she didn't consider herself to be good enough to teach anybody. So it was just, well, you can see, you can see what I'm doing. So I don't know that anybody actually taught me. It was just something I saw in my everyday life and loved. As a kid falling asleep at grandma's house, she'd have a quilt on the bed and I would lay there and try to figure out the pattern, which piece they put together first. And it was just part of life. And then 
when I got old enough to be able to to sew myself, I had a lady at church. I was over for the evening and she had quilted potholders and I admired her potholders and she said, well, would you like to make them? So she took me up to her sewing room and let me pick out a few pieces. It was the simplest little nine patch in the world, but I was so proud of it. <laughs> and then when I was a teenager, we would make shower gifts for ladies at church that were having a baby. We'd make quilted bibs or, you know, that kind of just little projects. So it was just something that was kind of always around. I still have not taken an actual class. That was before YouTube. So I've probably taught myself many, many, many bad habits, but I've just kind of picked it up as I go. And now I'm trying to go back and learn the the correct way, maybe. I don't know if there really is a correct way, but. <laughs> you learn the rules and then you learn to break them, right? Exactly. I may have gone backwards on that, but yeah, I don't have that great quilting introduction story that a lot of people have. It was just something that I picked up gradually as I, as I went. Yeah. And you were always around it. And you probably didn't understand that other people were not. I didn't. I've had several people that I've assumed I've gotten myself into trouble because I've just assumed they knew how. But that's also been a great way I've been able to teach people how to quilt because they've been interested. And then I found out that they, they don't necessarily understand quilting. No formal teaching, but I've been able to do a little bit of teaching here and there. How fun. Do you happen to have a favorite quilt that you've made or a favorite pattern that you really like to use? I have a favorite quilt, but it's not necessarily the one I've made. I've always loved double wedding rings. And my grandmother asked me when I was in junior high or high school, she decided to make all of the grandkids a quilt. And of course, that was all hand-pieced and hand-quilted. And I picked out the double wedding ring and she didn't say anything. She said that was fine. Then I found out later that was one of the patterns that had the smallest pieces. So that was a great way to use up true scraps of garment fabrics. And so she had made so many of those growing up and did not like it. But bless her heart, she made one for me. So I still have that. Of course, she gave it to me for high school graduation and it even has on the back, she has a couple little places where she had obviously pricked a finger and I would be devastated if somebody cleaned that well enough to get those little tiny blood spots out. Oh. I think I heard one of your guests in one interview say something about the quilt that she would run into a burning house to save. And that would be my quilt. <laughs> <laughs> and then I did later on make that when my brother got married, he asked if I would make them a double wedding ring for their wedding. So I borrowed grandma's patterns. And in fact, I borrowed many of her scraps. They had a suitcase of scraps that she and her sisters would share between them. So I got the suitcase of scraps and put together my very first bed size quilt with a double wedding ring. Wow. And I assume it turned out amazing. Well, they liked it. <laughs> <laughs> the funny story on that one was, he asked me if I would make that because his bride-to-be just had seen one and just thought it was so beautiful. And I looked at him and I said, 
you guys are getting married in just over a year. There's no way in the world I could make that. Then my great aunt heard me say that. And she said, oh, yeah, there's no way you could do one of those by hand and get it quilted in time for the wedding. Well, that was a challenge. So then I had to try. (laughs) (laughs) And I got it done in 14 months. It was right after they got married. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I keep running into this. You tell us it can't be done and we'll show you. (laughs) It can get you into trouble. It does. But the nice thing about being a hand piecer, which I have since in the, in the, just in the past few years, gotten used to working on the machine, but being a hand piecer, you can take it with you anywhere. And it's amazing how many pieces you can put together while you're waiting for an appointment or, you know, just random little bits of time here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when you are quilting, do you have a favorite tool? Well, I said that I finally converted myself to working on a machine and a number of years ago now, because they're gone, but the grandparents that I lived next door to are my mom's parents and my dad's parents called me and said they were moving to a different apartment. So they were trying to downsize and they asked if I would like grandma's old sewing machine. Sure. I like family history. So yes, I would be glad to have grandma's sewing machine. They said it was a fairly small one, so the next time we were down there, they'd give it to me. Of course, this was well before internet and before I knew too many quilters, so I had no idea that the sewing machine they gave me was a Singer Featherweight. Oh, wow. (laughs) Grandma was not a seamstress. She did not sew. My dad only remembers her taking it out a couple times to hem jeans or something like that, but it was small. They actually lived in, dad grew up on the mission field in Ecuador, and they were back for a year. And for some reason, I don't, I don't know that I ever got the whole story, but they were entered into a radio contest, a radio station in Chicago, and they won. And one of the prizes was this singer featherweight, and it happened to be a 1950 model. (laughs) So they took it back and forth with them, back and forth from the States and Ecuador, And kept this machine all that time. My grandfather was an engineer and liked to tinker with it. So it was kept up very well. It was a few years after they gave it to me. I had heard of a featherweight, but didn't know what one looked like. So I learned to sew on that by reading the little tiny crinkly tattered little manual. (laughs) And, And loved it. And now that I know that quilters love the little featherweights, I can totally understand why. So I do love to quilt on that. That's probably my favorite tool. (laughs) What a cool story. Working on your quilts, do you have one part you like more than others, or do you like the whole process? I probably like the whole process. I love to see how it comes together. So a lot of times if I'm working on something that has 42 of the same blocks, I get the first six blocks and then, I, then I'm ready for the binding. <laughs> Once I figure out how it all goes together, then I'm ready to be done and move on to another project. But yes, I enjoy the cutting. I even enjoy the, the ironing and <laughs> I pretty much like most of it. Yeah. Now I say this is my fun question. What was your worst (laughs) quilting experience? 
Oh, yes. We all have at least one, right? (laughs) (laughs) So this is a story of one of my unfinished objects, probably my longest running unfinished object. I had a beautiful pattern with one of the very early keepsake quilting catalogs. And I just fell in love with this whole cloth dogwood wreath applique quilt. And so for Christmas, that was on my Christmas list. And I got the pattern. And then it took me several years to get all the fabrics to do it with. And then it took me years to figure out how to applique. I didn't have anybody to teach me. So it was just kind of, well, you turn this under. And so I kind of self-taught myself applique. And I'm not going to say that the thing is, I would never enter it in a show. Let's put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) But I did finish it. And I worked on it on and off. I think it was 1994 when I got the pattern for Christmas. And I probably worked on it for at least eight years. But I did get the whole thing applicated. And I was so proud of myself and laid the whole quilt top out. And it was very nice for somebody beginning applique. It was very nice. But of course, I was going to hand quilt it. And I picked out a stencil, of course, you know, in that day for hand quilting, you would get a stencil or make a stencil. And I wanted kind of a, now I would say it was mostly like a crosshatch pattern, but it was sort of this trellis design to put inside the wreath that this quilt made. And it was a queen size, I believe. So I came over to my grandmother's house because she had the biggest dining room table. And I laid it out and I started working in quadrants very carefully and used a marking pencil. Grandma always marked hers with a number two pencil, which I know is highly controversial, but that's what I learned. And so I was marking it and I got three quarters of the way around and realized that my crosshatches were not going to meet up. So I figured out how to erase all those little marks and I tried again. I marked that top three times before I finally put it all the way in a box and it is still in a box (laughs) (laughs) which is terrible so I was redoing my quilting area and I found that box again I had already bought the batting and everything in the backing and I pulled it out and I thought if it was truly 1994 I have to get this thing finished before it turns 30 (laughs) (laughs) But, oh, I was so frustrated, and I'm hoping now that I have a long-arm quilting machine, maybe I can actually put it on the machine and baste it using the machine, and I don't know if I will end up machine quilting it. I haven't quite decided yet. I'd still like to hand quilt it, but at least if I could get the basting done, I would have maybe a little bit better chance of being able to get my quilting to match up. Wow. But persistence, that has taught me persistence. I am not going to get rid of this project. I will finish this project. (laughs) (laughs) So you're giving yourself two years, I'm hearing. I am giving myself two years. (laughs) (laughs) Which, when I say that out loud, sounds a little scary. (laughs) Check back up with me in two years. Okay. (laughs) Why do you think you make quilts rather than spend that time doing one of your other crafts or hobbies? Kind of twofold answer on that. I love the history of quilts. My first degree was in history. And growing up, I volunteered during the summers at some living history demonstration type 
they call them folk festivals, but it was basically like a living history demonstration weekends. And I loved the history of all of the crafts, not just quilting, but all of them. And there's just something very special, probably because I grew up with it and heard the stories. That's why I loved your podcast, your slant towards the stories of quilting, because there's so much rich history. And quilting just feels like it's putting me right back with people in my family that quilted, friends that quilted that are no longer here. So I love that history. And the more I study the history of quilts, the more exciting quilting now becomes. So I love that part. It's also, as I've already said, I have way too many craft interests. And quilting is just, it's very different from, in some ways, it's the same. In some ways, it's very different. It uses different mental skills to draft a quilt pattern or put together a quilt pattern. It uses different muscles. So I love being able to go back and forth between knitting for a while and then quilting and quilting by hand and then quilting or piecing on the machine. You have so many, your brain muscles must be really strong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's nice when I have a knitting dilemma that I can't solve and I get frustrated with the project, I can put that away, go sit down at the machine and piece on a quilt for a little while. And then my mind is fresh and I can come back and realize what mistake I made on the knitting. And it goes the other way as well. (laughs) Oh, neat. And who do you make your quilts for? At this point, almost anybody that'll let me make one. (laughs) It seems to be a common theme that family members have probably their quota, all the quilts they want. So I enjoy making them for friends. I've recently started doing a lot of donation quilts because when you start making quilts, of course, you have scraps and it's fun to be able to put those scrap pieces and then put together scraps of batting and be able to put them all together and all of a sudden you have something gorgeous that emerges from that scrap quilt and then to be able to donate that to somebody else is a lot of fun very rewarding so I have a list and if you're one of my friends you probably are on that list somewhere (laughs) (laughs) I have a list too and probably 15 (laughs) minutes before I called you I got a text from my sister and my niece had a baby just the other day so she was already oh. on my list, but I was able to add the name. Nice. Yeah. It's always more fun when you know who it's going for. Yeah. I keep thinking I need to have a quilt closet. You know, I know a lot of people have a stash of quilts to get, but I, I kind of have to know who it's going for and, yeah, be able to make it specifically for them. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting because now it seems like there's two trains of thought. I'm more like like you, where I really need to know who that's going to go to. And uh-huh. I've heard other people that that just stresses them out. They don't want to work on those quilts. They want to make it, and then when they want to give them away, they can pick from whatever they have, but they want to make it more what they want to do. It's interesting. The Lord makes us different. Yeah. Well, and I do have my little stash, and it's nice when... Mom has a friend that she's wanting to give something to, and I can say, well, if there's something here that they would appreciate, you can take it. I have tried to give something to somebody out of my quilt stash and then thought, oh, that's not quite their color. I'll just quick do another one. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> I'll just quick. <laughs> so what are you working quilting-wise on right now? Well, my design wall currently is holding a fall quilt. I'm working on the farmhouse fall quilt by Erica Arndt. And I started this at a retreat with some friends and I got about a third to half of the way finished. And I really, really liked this. It was going together. It's a beautiful pattern, very well written. And then I had to put it away to come home. And there's something about restarting something you've stopped. So I've gotten a little bit stopped but last week I pulled it back out and got a big piece of it done. So I knew that I wouldn't get it done for this fall, but I'm very much hoping that I will have it done for next fall. So I've got that on my design wall. That's my working on the machine. And then I just started making hexi flowers, English paper piece to use as a window balance. So I'm working kind of those two things. And then I've got Oh, like every quilter, I've got three or four other things on the cutting table that you know, this will be next. No, this will be next. Oh, I'd really like to work on. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like to finish one project first. So I am hoping to be able to finish that fall quilt and then move on. We have to rein ourselves in sometimes. Oh, <laughs> it's hard to do. <laughs> Share a quilting tip. I feel like as a self-taught, don't know all the rules quilter, I don't feel like I have the authority to give a tip. But one thing that I was working on recently, and it made me think, some of the newer quilters I know, we have so many resources right now. It's amazing the number of podcasts, YouTube channels, books, blogs. There's so much information and it's so good. But don't just listen to the new stuff. Learn how things were done before the internet came along. I was talking to a lady recently who was interested, trying to decide whether she should be interested in quilting. And she was just really scared of not liking it and having invested in. She didn't have a sewing machine. She didn't have any fabric to start with. So she was starting from scratch. And man, there's a lot of gadgets that we use with quilting anymore. So I I looked at her and I said, well, you know, you could just start with a piece of clothing, you know, old clothes and a needle and thread. And she looked at me and it was this light bulb came on and she said, I can do that. And I said, absolutely. Let me show you how you can hand piece and and see if you like it. And then if you want, you can move on. And I was working on a custom. I was commissioned to make a quilt for a lady and she sent me a picture of a quilt that she wanted replicated. And I tried so hard to find the pattern. And I'm sure it's out there, but I could not find it. So I had to make it myself. And I was looking through catalogs and at our local quilt shop, trying to find the right rulers that I could use to make this. And finally, I I thought, you know, grandma taught me how to draft a pattern using a cereal box. (laughs) (laughs) So I pulled out that old skill. And ultimately, I ended up paper piecing that project. But it was just nice to know that I wasn't limited by the tools that I was able to buy and the strip piecing or whatever new technique. There's so much that that my grandmother and my great-grandmother made these gorgeous quilts and didn't have all the tools. I don't want to be a hypocrite because I have my share of tools. (laughs) (laughs) And I love them dearly. But if you can learn some of the older techniques too, you just have more tools in your basket and more ways than one to accomplish something. 
So I love that. And I love when I can use, again, liking the history of quilts, when I can go back and make a quilt the way it used to be made. And there's pros and cons. There's disadvantages to that, that some of our newer tools have let us do better. But it's just nice to be able to do something the way grandma did it too. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah. And especially for like my friend that was shocked she could use a needle and thread. You know, sometimes you don't have the luxury of buying a new ruler for something. And that doesn't mean I can't make that quilt because I can trace a template and literally life cereal box <laughs> was what grandma used. There's something to be said for learning the old techniques too. Yeah. And that's the biggest complaint I hear from people wanting to quilt is it's so expensive and it absolutely can be. But I went to my very first quilt show just, oh, three or four years ago. And the quilt that I remember from that show was made out of thrifted men's flannel shirts. No, I'm sorry. They weren't flannel. They were plaid. And they were kind of faded. It was beautifully done. And I had to go over and read the little information card before I realized that they were thrifted shirts. And just the mastery of that quilter, it was pieced and applique both. And it was gorgeous. And it probably, it wasn't free necessarily, but it was next door to it. She had learned how to use what she had. And grandma quilted hundreds of quilts. Well, okay, probably not hundreds of quilts, but she quilted everything she did. And she had a little tiny cardboard box to hold all of her quilting supplies. I mean, it was a needle, a thimble, and she used the family pair of scissors. Like I said, I don't want to be hypocritical because I have lots of toys and software for designing and I have a long arm, but it's amazing what you can do with some creativity and very simple supplies too. So I always like to encourage people that are interested in quilting, start simple. You can quilt within your means and you will enjoy it so much more. Oh yeah. Then when you really get into it, then you can get the toys and gadgets because <laughs> we all do. <laughs> Describe how you went from having quilting as a hobby and it became a business for you. Oh, that's a bit of a story. When it came to the long arm business, I really started that as a business. I was fascinated with long arming. I remember grandma having quilting magazines. She had several sisters that lived in the area. And so they would share their magazines. And so when I was home visiting for the summer, I would look through them and I remember seeing my first ad for a long arm quilting machine and it was, you know, start your own business, work from home, quilt for others. And that intrigued me, but I never really thought that was a dream that would come true. But I always wanted to be able to do something. It was kind of that dream of being able to make things and be able to support myself by what I made, which a lot of us have that dream. Didn't really expect that to come true. But at the time, I really wanted, again, being an avid spinner and knitter, crocheter, I thought I was going to do a, a yarn shop. But at the time where I was kind of needing to make a career transition was not the heyday of knitting. And I also was a sample maker for a crochet designer for, I think, 12 years. And it took crochet from something I loved to do to feeling like work. And I hear people in the creative industries all the time talking about that. 
so I really got to the point where I thought, if I tried to do a knitting store, would that make my hobby into something I didn't like as much and make it into work instead of joy? So I kind of was thinking, trying to decide what kind of career I would want. And at that point, I had started working just a little bit at the local quilt shop. And they, at the time, had a long arm in the shop. And they asked me if I would be interested in learning, kind of giving the long armor a break and helping her out. So sure, I'm always interested in learning something new. So I did and I got hooked. And I must admit to a little bit of snobbery, I had grown up with everybody hand quilting and this whole idea of a machine quilting just seems very foreign to me. But what I found out, like it was a whole different sport. I still love the hand stitching and I really enjoy the precision of being able to work with the long arm. And specifically, I work with a digitized machine with robotics. So it's like it's a whole different craft in its own right. So anyway, I started dabbling with it a little bit. And then they ended up moving the long arm out of the shop and back to the long armor's home. And at that point, I was kind of hurt. <laughs> so I wanted to keep doing it. But I knew if I was going to get a machine, I would have to be able to quilt for others and able to justify buying this big machine piece of equipment. So on one hand, I feel slightly guilty admitting that, but I've also heard a lot of long armors say the same thing. So I guess there's no shame in that. But the long arming really did start more as a business with the intention of being a business. But also being one that quilting wasn't what I had to do every day. If I don't put in a few knitting stitches, I start to get itchy. I want to knit a little bit. It may be 10 stitches or something, you know, in the morning. But I don't have that need. I have to be sewing. So for me, it was a perfect combination of being able to being able to quilt, be able to still be making, and that creative outlet, but be able to do it for others. So I really, really enjoyed and actually having the long arm business has made me a much better and much more avid quilter than I ever was before. Because before my quilting was for a specific purpose. It was, oh, so-and-so is having a baby. I will make a quilt. And then when that was done, it might be another year before I had another excuse to put together a quilt. (laughs) So this way, it's definitely seeing everybody else's beautiful quilts makes me go, oh, I want to make that too. (laughs) So it's actually kind of worked a little bit backwards for me. It's made me a much more avid quilter than I ever was before. Wow. What is the name of your business and how did you come about having the name? So I go by Cottage Path Quilting and it goes back to this whole idea of living next to my grandmother. It's a short walk between grandma's house and our house. And when she was getting older, we would be over at grandma's house frequently, come over and check on her or just spend some time with her and then hop back to our house. And when she passed, I moved into her house. So I now walk the other direction. I go over to visit my parents. And (laughs) over the years, we have this path. You can see this little path in the yard (laughs) between the two houses. And my house is the little one. Mom and dad's house is much bigger. So when I started talking about getting my own long arm and setting up as a business, there literally was no room. There was one room that I would be able to fit a long arm in my little house. So mom and dad offered to, they were 
somewhat downsizing. They didn't need all the space. So they offered to let me use kind of their bonus game room upstairs as my quilting studio. So every day I walk the path over to my parents' house and kind of joke about this being my little cottage. And then I go over to their big house. So that kind of became the story behind my name, how I got my name. I walked the cottage path over to my quilting studio. Oh, neat. And it all ties into family. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely my business, but my parents have been tremendous help. Dad will handle business stuff for me occasionally if I ask him to. I do offer binding services, and my mom is fantastic at binding, and so... If I'm busy, she'll help me with binding. She'll help me with ironing, backings, and things like that. So they're more than willing to help out. And my aunt lives behind us. She is an avid quilter. So if I run into any questions, I can say, have you done this before? Have you known? (laughs) (laughs) So it is definitely family. That's great. I just love it when families work together. So when did you start Cottage Path Quilting? I started in 2019. I bought my machine early that year. Of course, did a lot of playing around with it. My great aunt was kind of getting to the point that I think my grandmother had passed by that point and her last sibling that lives in this area, she was actually the one that introduced me to long arm quilting. I had never, I'd heard of long arms. I'd seen the ads but I'd never heard of anybody actually having quilts machine quilted and she did. So she kind of talked me through the whole machine quilting process, I guess, long before I ever got a long arm. And then when I did buy a long arm, she asked if I would be interested in quilting some of her charity quilts. At that point, she was determined she was going to use all of her fabric before she died. (laughs) And I think she came pretty close. So she was making a lot of small lap robes and things like that. So I have a picture of, I think it was 30 some quilts on the clothesline that she had pieced and I had quilted for her. I think we ended up taking them to the local nursing home here. So that was a lot of fun to be able to work with her and just another generation of the family. And that's what got me started, gave me the confidence (laughs) to start actually taking in customers. So by the end of 2019, I was quilting for others. Wow. How did you feel the first time you long-armed quilted someone else's quilt? So when they dropped off the quilt, it was sheer terror. Pretty sure I'm going to mess it up. You know, all the, the range of feelings. And then I got started and very nervous. At that point, I had quilted quite a few quilts, several for myself. And then, as I said, for my aunt. So once I got into it, then I I was okay. The nerves kind of passed. And then when they came to pick it up and the smile on their face, when they saw that quilt flimsy top (laughs) that had just jumped to life with the stitching and seeing the smile on their face, then I was hooked on quilting for others. (laughs) (laughs) How fun. I can't imagine the stress that you may have had when they first brought it, not knowing if they were going to like it and the relief that when they smiled like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and quilters are wonderful people. I've not had a bad experience. I will usually text pictures back and forth, especially with a new client. 
And there's been a couple of times where I've said, I'm not sure about this design. And so I've started it and ended up taking out part of it and restarting over. But we've always been able to come up with something that looked amazing in the end and that we were both very happy with. And for me, that's very much like being a florist. And I love that teamwork. You're working with somebody else to make their dream come alive. And being able to be part of that dream popping to life is such an honor. I love it. It's a privilege. And I don't take that lightly. And I've done a couple hundred quilts at this point for people. But I still get nervous, especially with a new person, because I want to make their dream come alive. I want that quilt to look exactly like what they meant, what they intended, what that vision in their head. And so it's a lot of communication and we can usually make that happen. And that's so much fun when that works out. Communication is key. Uh huh. <laughs> and on your website, I can see that you do that. I love how you have it all laid out. The pricing is upfront and clear. And you've even laid out what you're going to talk about so that you cover each step. Your website's laid out very nice. Thank you very much. That's high praise because I am not a techie person. That's still a work in progress. I have many things I want to improve, but I'm glad that comes across. Yeah. And you have a tab with your panographs. Boy, there's a lot to choose from. (laughs) And there's more coming up all the time. So, yes, if I put all the designs I have on there, I'm afraid it's overwhelming. So I always tell people, here's a start. And if you see something great, wonderful. If you don't quite see, it's kind of like the the eye doctor, you know, if you don't see, tell me which one comes closest and which is the clearest to your dream or your vision for that quilt. And then maybe there's something I have access to or I already own and I just haven't put it on the website yet. And that's a lot of fun back and forth. (laughs) Yeah. I bet people enjoy that part of the process too. Sounds fun. It can be. And it can also be overwhelming. So that's, again, where communication, you know, tell me what you see on the quilt. If they're just not sure, you know, whether it's me or anybody else, if you're not sure what you want on it, just tell us. I don't know. And then what I usually do is either text or email or however, if it's a local person, I'll say, here's three possibilities. And I try to make them very different, but three different things that could go on there. You tell me which one you like the best. And then I'll give you three more. You know, maybe that's not the right one. But if I know, hey, you're thinking floral, then I can give you three more floral options that might look good on that. Or, oh, you don't want florals at all. You really like the geometric type things. And then we can go from there. So it can be a lot of fun and it should be a lot of fun. And if it's not, then let us know because we want you to like that quilt and the whole process of having that quilted. Mm -hmm. Because quilting should be fun. Absolutely. We want those stories that you tell in five years when you are interviewed on Paula's podcast. We want you to tell stories about how much fun that quilt was to make. Yeah. Now, before we started the interview, you said you were in the long arm league with Tara Corn Messer. Yes. Tell me a little bit about what you get out of the long arm league. So the long arm league started just a couple months after I bought my machine and I stumbled on it a little bit through Facebook, through somebody else in one of the quilting groups I'm in said, Hey, there's this thing starting. So I joined and 
it has been a tremendous help. It's a little bit like a quilt guild for long armors. So it's a great community to ask questions. I have learned about products that would help me, the bags that I use to return my quilts to customers, because protecting that person's precious quilt is important. So especially when I'm doing mail-in quilts, I want to make sure that it is returned well. And so I didn't have a clue how to work with quilts through the mail. I knew how to, when somebody came over with their quilt and we could talk and they came to my house and picked it up. So just as one example, there was one whole lesson about how to work with shipping quilts. Best ways to do it, things to watch out for. Don't do this. It could lead to damage. Do this instead. And then along the way, if I have questions, I can pop it into our chat channel online and just like an online community that we can ask questions and have very quick answers. There's several hundred of us at this point, a lot more than, than what started. And it's been fun to see that grow. So just the camaraderie, the, hey, you're not the only one. I'm having this issue. Oh, yeah, I had that three weeks ago on a quilt. And this is how I handled it. So knowing that you're not alone. Long-arming is kind of a small community. There's so many people long-arming now. But I don't know that many of them. So I don't really have somebody I can call and say, hey, how do I handle this? What's going on? Is this me? Is it the quilt? What do I do? Or I'm not liking this this particular product, whether it's batting recommendations. I had a customer ask me for a really heavy, she wanted almost like a weighted blanket. So I could pop on to the long arm league and say, what do you guys recommend for batting in this situation? And have access to several hundred people with knowledge. Cool. And that just makes your product that much better. It, well, I'm not having to make mistakes on somebody else's quilt and have to learn from them. I can learn from other people and avoid those mistakes. And that just makes the whole process so much more satisfying for me and for my clients. Mm-hmm. Anytime you can build community around what you're doing is very special and it's a huge help. So personally, I'm very glad that Jess is the one that started it. So I'm very glad that she did. Uh (laughs) It's been a big help. And then I also saw on your website, and I think we touched on this, that you are willing to do custom quilts. Yes. I don't do too many of them. I don't want to have a backlog and I want people to get things quickly. But I do accept whether that's memory quilts, t-shirt quilts, or just a regular quilt. I had a lady from Germany contact me. (laughs) I made a quilt for her. She wasn't a quilter, but had always wanted this quilt made. And I think it was actually for her son. So I made the quilt start to finish for her. And it was a challenge in a really, really good way. It was a lot of fun. And that just gives me a chance to be able to do some piecing of my own. (laughs) (laughs) And was there a language barrier? There wasn't. The reason I found out when we were in contact was through a mutual friend. She had been a foreign exchange student in the U.S. when she was in high school. So she spoke very good English because that was a concern of mine when I first (laughs) was introduced. But no, and the quilt ended up going to her son who lived in the States. So we didn't have all the imports. It was very simple to do, but it was a lot of fun to make that quilt for her. And then I've done a few others. 
That would be exciting. Where can we find your business? I am cottagepathquilting.com, so you can find me online on my website. I am most active on Instagram, and that's just at cottagepathquilting. I am not very tech savvy, so I am working on that. (laughs) That has been one of my goals this year. I've done so many amazing quilts for so many different people, and I feel bad in a way that I have not gotten pictures of all of their creations up on my Instagram and on my website. But it's also a little intimidating on my side to take pictures and showcase somebody else's work because I'm not the best photographer. So I want to put everybody else's work in the best light. And so it's held me back just a bit. But I did start taking a course from one of our Long Arm League members. Shelly teaches a class specifically on quilt photography. So I started that at the beginning of the year and I am working on it. So I'm hoping to get more pictures and become more active there. Wow. But those are the two main ways to get a hold of me. There's always details we don't know about. Just the simplicity of taking a picture becomes more detailed when you need to show off somebody else's work. It is. If it's just mine, it's no big deal. But when it's somebody else's, I want to make sure that it looks as good as it deserves to look. So, yeah, (laughs) that's just been a little bit intimidating to me. Danielle, thank you so much for doing this for me. I so appreciate getting to visit with you and hearing your story. It has been a pleasure, and it's always fun to swap stories. Well, thank you so much, and bye-bye. Bye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.